The Arts of the San Joaquin Valley is a program that focuses on the arts community from Stockton to Merced and Foothill to Foothill. We talk with local authors, poets, playwrights, fine artists, actors, directors, filmmakers, dancers, musicians, crafters, and makers to learn more about their art and the arts-related events here in our part of the valley. We're your hosts, Linda Scheller. And I'm Sandy Graham. If you're involved in the greater arts community of our area and would like to be featured, we will share our contact information at the end of the show. My guest today is Angela Drew. Angela Drew is a mother, dancer, poet, and spoken word performer who has loved the rhythm of words for as long as she can remember. Born in Berkeley, California, she began writing at age eight and has always understood that words have the power to soothe, stir, or solidify connection. Thus, her lifelong love affair with storytelling began. Angela has performed at various venues throughout Modesto, Sacramento, and Bay Areas, including Modesto Junior College, Modesto's inaugural Ill-List Poetry Slam at the State Theater, the Gallo Center for the Arts, in a Sankofa community theater production of The Journey, The African American Experience, the Hildegard Festival of Women in the Arts, Turlock, and the Modesto Stanislaus Poetry Center's poetry event, Words Worth Speaking, to name a few. Angela's spoken word piece, BWE, The Black Woman Experience, was recently featured at the 2020 NAACP Modesto Stanislaus Virtual Black Graduates Recognition Ceremony, and her poetry was included in Collision 6, the February 2020 exhibit at the Mislin Gallery, which featured poet-photographer collaborations. Welcome, Angela. Hi, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Angela, who or what strongly influenced you as a child? I would have to say my love of reading and words was nurtured and inspired by my Aunt Betty. She actually taught me how to read when I was three. Um, it was a book called Snow. It was an easy reader. And she used to read to me nightly. And I, I have loved stories since forever. Uh, she loves to tell folks how um, one night we settled in and she was getting ready to read me a story and I opened up the book and began reading before she sat down. And as she watched me turning the page, she was in awe that I was actually reading the book and called my mother into the room. And she was like, this baby is actually reading. Um, and just her, her demeanor, the way that she carried herself, she really inspired me. She's always had a love of knowledge and learning. Um, she would even chastise me. I remember her showing me one time on a map, we were looking at things um, in a coloring book on a map and she pointed to Florida and I didn't know the name of the state. And this was probably at about five or six. And she kind of ch gently chastised me and I understood and she always relayed to me that being smart is more important than being pretty. It's, I mean, it's great to be pretty, but it's more important to be smart. And that's what she instilled in me my entire life. It's funny because she actually teaches English in Japan. She lives in Japan. She has lived in Japan for the past 30 odd years. And she teaches English there um, as an instructor. So what impelled you to start writing at age eight? I would have to say I just always love words, the sound of words, word structures. I, I love stories. I mean, I just light up at hearing the experiences of someone um, come to life in, in story. And 
I come from an era where children were seen and not heard. Uh, so writing gave me an outlet to express the things I couldn't outwardly say. Um, I am grateful um, that I've always had people in my life, family, teachers, coaches, friends, that have encouraged my gift. And I also discovered how my writing connects with others who share my same experiences. So I just have, have always written. That's how I've gotten things out. That's how I've dealt with things. And it can be the simplest descriptions of a tender moment that can actually bring someone to tears, you know, whether it's tears of joy, tears of connection. And I just, I, I just learned that early on. Please tell us about your education. So I have a Bachelor of Arts in communication, uh, business communication from Holy Names University, which I actually just went back and got last year. My, um, I graduated last year, 2019. The funny thing is, is that, you know, what, at the time that I graduated high school, everybody was going off to college, um, you know, starting life. And I was really surviving, I would say. Um, I got a job. I was making a living. Um, and then I, you know, went into the work world and just didn't think that I really needed it. I didn't need a degree to earn a living. But then as I just kind of grew older, I had my family and I just knew that I wanted a degree for myself. It wasn't because I needed it for my job to make more money at my job, to gain ranking at my job. I wanted it for me. And I literally went back. I was um, a working mother um, with two children. Uh, they were going to school and I was going to school and I finally finished my bachelor's last year and it's one of my proudest accomplishments and what a wonderful example for your children absolutely absolutely and you know what i vowed too i was like there's no way when my daughter graduated high school uh, i said there's no way she's going to walk across the college graduation stage before me and i made sure that i got it before she actually graduated so well, congratulations thank you and you're also a dancer who taught dance please tell us about that um so yeah i i taught dance for quite a while um i was a dancer before I was writing poetry per se. I was um, in a hip hop group. I was a choreographer for um, a group out of San Jose, California, where we would travel to different colleges, encouraging folks to graduate and move on to pursue their higher education. Um, and that just kind of transitioned from being a choreographer to teaching dance to young kids. I mean, we're talking ages eight to age 25, age 50, literally. Um, when I moved to Modesto, uh, I was actually teaching through Modesto Parks and Recreation. I taught hip hop classes uh, to students, um, literally from age five uh, to 18. And it was, it was a joy, it was a joy for me. And that kind of transitioned into um, dance fitness where I've taught Zumba for years, taught hip hop dance aerobics for years. And it's just something that I love, I love to do. I've always loved to do it. And I love seeing the joy um, when people actually uh, participate in dance. Has this pandemic affected your ability to go out and dance or are you Absolutely. dancing dancing at home now? Yeah, I think it's affected all of us, but we've had to find ways to, you know, be creative and keep moving, right? Yeah. Um, I was teaching Zumba at one of the local gyms um, when the pandemic hit. So, of course, everything uh, got shut down. Um, so, I mean, I dance on my own, but I'm no longer teaching it in, you know, the public arena per se. And I don't even know if I will, really will go back to it because things have changed so much in these times. And so it just looks a lot different. And yeah, so I probably won't be going back to teaching it, but I, I loved it while I did it. How did you develop as a storyteller? Um, I would have to say life experiences uh, is as simple as that. The funny thing is that, um, of course, as writers, you know, we didn't come, you know, to this place by ourselves. We are influenced by many other writers, you know, stories we've read, 
um, experiences we've seen, um, stories told to us, whether on the page or on the movie screen. I, I just feel that stories are currency in a sense. I mean, sharing life experiences. And I want to share with you, um, I, I have in my future, I've, I'm actually working on a book of fiction, and um, it, the book is called Fingerprints on My Shadow. The actual introduction of the, of the book really talks about storytelling, and it, it actually kind of illustrates what storytelling means to me, and I was going to read it to you if you don't mind. Oh, I'd love it if you would. The introduction starts off, it says, uh, stories drift on the edge of our experiences, floating on our highs, plunging on our lows. They are birthed through our exhales of relief and survival, carrying our hopes forward and reminding our children that we are hopelessly human. Our words scream in volumes, coding our children's souls and reminding them that we sang, we danced, we prayed, we hoped, believed, held joy and loved, really loved both ourselves and them. We must remember our stories and sing their glory for they are transferable, precious currency to be shared and spoken but they are ours to tell. That's and, beautiful. Thank, thank you for you. reading that. You're listening to our guest today, Angela Drew. Angela, could you please explain to us the difference between slam poetry and spoken word poetry? So technically, they're, the, they're one and the same. I would just have to say that slam poetry is, is the competition aspect of poetry. Of course, you're being judged and scored based on your performance. Uh, which is limited to a certain amount of time, normally three minutes, right? But it's all performance poetry, in a sense. So your spoken word poetry is the performance, you're speaking the poetry, you're giving it life, you're giving it rhythm. And I like in my spoken word poetry, the, I'm all about the rhythm, um, the resonance of words, how they, they meld together, how they sound together, how they flow from your tongue. And so, um, again, it's just the, the only difference is the fact that you're, in one, you're competing, in one, um, you are just expressing yourself. You're, well, in both, you're expressing yourself. It's just one is a competition aspect of it. Um, but also, too, we know as slam poets, you know, when we're competing that the points are not the point. It is really about, you know, getting that expression across, getting your story across, and really connecting with the audience and having them feel, you know, feel, really feel what you're saying um, with the performance aspect of the poetry. Spoken word could be as long as you like. Absolutely, as long as you, you know, want to share as, you know, to the close of your poem. But they're both memorized, correct? Correct. They're both, that, they're both what we call perform, performance poetry. Actually, some people do get up and read. I mean, spoken word, they get up and read. Um, but it's not, it's not normal. That's not the norm. It's really about memorizing it and performing it. Like literally, if like you were doing a monologue or acting. Nothing is distracting from the actual words and the performance of it. So you're not reading off the paper. It is memorized and performed. And I remember, too, that props were forbidden. Absolutely. Yeah, there were no props. You could sing. The only prop you have is your voice, hmm. you know, your voice and your words. When did you start competing in Poetry Slams? Um, you know what? I started competing back in the early 2000s, believe it or not. And my first, uh, my first slam was at the Starry Plow in Berkeley, California. Um, and I came through that by way of this small little hole in the wall poetry spot called the Blue Candle. And they had an open mic there. And I actually did a, a poem, a poem there, a spoken word piece there at the Blue Candle and then went on to actually perform in a slam at the Starry Plow in Berkeley. And I just loved it. I mean, I love 
um, it, I, I, got, I get a writer's high. I get a performance high. It's just there's nothing like being on the mic, just you, people listening to what you have to say and being able to perform your words. It's, it's just a beautiful thing. Has the audience reaction changed over these, uh, well, almost decades? Um, you know what? It's, I guess, since it's become more normalized, it's, it's kind of a different reaction. You didn't really know what to expect from the audience then, um, but people show their approval during the course. You know, you always get those folks that are kind of egging you on and like, <laughs> whether it's snapping or, you know, clapping or, you know, you know agreeing with you. And, and that, of course, it, the feedback, you know, make, gives you inspiration. It kind of eggs you and motivates you to keep going. Um, but yeah, I think that the reaction, I, you know what I'm gonna say now? I think I don't feel that the poetry or the slams or the spoken word that say 20 years ago was held as much pain from societal issues. You know, it was more about, okay, everybody experiences, you know, pain in their life, whether they go through, you know, loss of a loved one, um, love loss, life experiences. But I think that it's become more socially relevant and there's more messaging in the spoken word performance now or the spoken word poetry now so it just it just feels it feels different the temperature wow. feels different it just you know it, it's just a different time you know what I mean over the course of these times that's interesting it's gone from a personal form of expression to sort of a collective well it's certainly fulfilling a, an important role societally absolutely absolutely you know what that I think I you said it well it yeah it, basically you used to kind of be on the mic sharing your own personal experiences. But I think now it's more about, okay, um, a collective conscience of no more. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, we've seen enough, you know what I mean? And now people are really speaking on it. It's no longer silent. And of course, you know, even though as much as I hate, you know, how cell phones kind of divide us and kind of make us kind of go into these silos where we kind of ignore one another. Um, I think that, you know, cell phone footage has brought to light a lot of these problems because I'm sure they were happening. We, we do know that, you know, a lot of this police brutality and such was happening, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago. But I think it's just become more open and obvious because of the footage being shared via social media, being collected on cell phones and such. So, yeah, the times and technology, I think, has changed the messaging in our poems, in our writing and in our spoken word performances. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think, especially those of us who have had white privilege to almost insulate us, we didn't realize the scope of the problem. And because of cell phones, because of the videos, suddenly we're shockingly aware of just the extent and horror of, of this societal problem. So I'm grateful that we have cell phones and that we're able to connect and, and learn and speak to each other. Absolutely, I agree. If it weren't for the pandemic, would you still be participating in slams or you know, plan to afterwards? Well, I don't really do slams anymore. I do do, I perform my poetry more so now. So I do spoken word in a sense. I, I, I would be writing regardless. I've been writing since forever. I will never stop writing. And I don't just consider myself a poet, I consider myself a writer. Um, so yeah, uh, pandemic or not, I would still be writing. I would still be performing. It's just, it's cathartic for me. I, I will sit and I'll, I'll read my poems just 
to hear the rhythm of the words coming from my mouth with my tone, with my tenor, it brings me comfort. So yes, I, regardless of the times, no matter, I, I have to write. I will continue to write and will always write. Where can listeners hear your spoken word poems? Um, so right now I have been uploading uh, my poems to my social media sites on Facebook and Instagram. Um, so my ultimate goal is I have, I'm in the process of publishing a children's book and I'm doing that under what I have formed a company called Linguistic Artistry. And so I'm in the process of getting that website kind of up and developed and I plan to pull all of those poems, my performance poems, my spoken word pieces onto that website so that you could go to them and click on them and listen to them. So there will be a collective place for you to view my performance poetry probably within the next three months. Great. Is there anywhere online people can go now? Yes, I have them on my Facebook page at Angela Drew um, right now. And then my Instagram is at linguistic underscore artist. So you can see them, see them both there. Great. I have about three or four poems on there. And I recommend our listeners do just that. They are fabulous. Thank you. We would love to hear one of your poems now. Um, okay, so I will do um, a spoken word piece since we're talking about poetry and we're talking about writing. I'm going to do a piece that's called The Circle of Life, and it's an ode to spoken word. Up jump the boogie, let me hear you swerve. Spoken word goes in the circle, hip hop to spoken word. Relativity is not imaginary, because I was feeling this for 100 years before me. Listen to the inflections and inner reflections of my poetry. Grab on, latch on, hold on, and if you can keep up, then you can go with me. See, life, it moves in circles. 360 degrees is how it's playing. From jazz, bellowing blues, spoken word to hip hop, it's all about what we be saying. Do you recognize our rhythms? Can you celebrate our rhymes? Spoken word, it rumbles to the beat like life and it's all about keeping time. From the earlier days in West Africa where our forefathers entertained villages, where they spoke of life lessons, the beauty of sun, recollections conjure up soul-filled images. On the slave days, in fact, Cotton sacks on their backs. They would chant while they work, sounding something like that. It's amazing to see life's pain and beauty conveyed so easily in a line of poetry. Dang. All right, wait, let me return to my point. Back to the days of juke joints where ladies croon the blues like, sister. You've been on my mind. And folks felt anointed. I'm moving on through from the sadness of blues to the Harlem jazz clubs where the trumpet rang true. It was rhythm bebop, vocal rhythm ski bop. Life had rhythm bebop, skiddily bop, bop, shoe up. Improv, freestyle, same thing, same style. Never the same twice, real spit, real nice on through the 60s. Nikki Giovanni, Langston Hughes wrote the blues and Baraka spoke free. It was freedom they craved, so, so deep in the game. Wearing black like a flag, they knew nothing about shame. Gil Scott, Heron, Sanchez was right on. In Tozaki, Shangay made me feel like the bomb. They stepped to the mic. 79 was just right. 
spoken word plus a beat equals rapper's delight. It was hip hop. Born was hip hop. It was hip hop. A hip to the hibbity hip up the hopping. You don't stop a rocking. See, it was born out of love, out of necessity. Yes, it went in the living circle. Now it's back to me. Roxanne Shante to MC Light to Moni Love, you see. To Queen Latifah to Debrat and on to Flowetry. And I have merely scratched the surface, but you get my drift. Drop on my knees, thank the creator that bestowed these gifts. Spoken word is a movement. Hip hop is a movement. Keep the circle going, perpetual motion. Hip hop coming through. Rebirth anew in the bosom of the true spoken word, word, word. Check it. And that's it. Oh, that was great. Oh, I love it. Thank you. Is that, is that online, I hope? That's not online yet. No, but it will be soon. Good. Website for sure. <laughs> oh, I think it's just amazing. I mean, Thank you're singing, you so and I was transported to these different times and places. And oh, oh wow. Thank you. That was great. I just love how, over the course of time, we've always managed to express ourselves in such a creative way. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Please uh, describe your creative process. You know, I don't know necessarily if I have a creative process I am I guess I'm inspired I could be inspired by a word a phrase a moment in nature a moment in time there's really no I don't know anything can spark a poem or spark my writing the funny thing is that once I start I literally when I'm writing a, a piece it's not like I piece pieces together you know over the course of three months it's like okay if I get started and I get a rhythm if I get one line it's like I lock myself in a room in the bathroom in silence and I'm in the flow until I finish it. I mean, I can finish it in an hour, a couple hours or, or whatever, but I have to be inspired. I'm not, I, I guess I'm not really the kind of writer that can like sit and make myself write. You know how they say sometimes you have to, you have writer's blocks to sit in front of the computer and you'll, you'll work your way through it. I have to be inspired and it comes from, just just life it comes from something that i've seen or what something i heard or someone did something someone stood up for something someone has been you know oppressed or something was made to feel some kind of way and i relate to that i don't know it's a feeling for me it's all about feeling writing is very i don't know i, I consider myself to be i don't want to necessarily say passionate but i really feel it in my heart when i'm writing i feel it within me like in my gut and that's what fuels my process that's what fills my creative efforts i would have to say how do you get it down as it comes to you i write it i definitely write it down yeah so as i'm as i'm saying it like i'm i'm saying it out loud um and then you know i like say it in the rhythm that i that i feel it and i write it down and then once i get it all there's a bunch of scratch out scratches out of course um and I, I, I don't write in pencil, I write in pen because I don't want to erase. I, I rather scratch out a line and then add to it or change it, but then I can always go back to see what it was before. So I do, I write everything down, write in pen, and then the original piece is a bunch of, you know, it's written all over the paper. It's not just like on the straight line notebook paper. I'm, I'm writing in the left-hand corner. I'm drawing arrows around to make this piece connect with this piece. It almost looks like a doodle um, when, I'm, <laughs> when I'm writing it. And then 
I finally kind of get it as it pieces together and the rhythm of it. And the rhythm of it, again, is, is the most important piece for me. That's what makes me feel it. That's what makes me remember it. So yeah, um, it's a whole, it's a whole process. Did you, or do you play a musical instrument too? I do not. I do not. What's funny is I, I played the flute in um, high school for two years in a marching band. And, um, but I haven't picked it up since then. I don't play any other types of musical instrument. Are you part of any artistic groups? I am not. I am not. Um, no, like a collective? No, mm -mm, I am not. How important is listener feedback to you? Um, I guess, I'm mean, in some ways, I suppose I, I love connecting with others, you know, through sh shared experiences that I detail in my writing. And I love when I, I, I do love when people tell me that my work touched them in some way. Connection is important when it comes to feedback, but approval is not. Um, so that's where you have to kind of, you know, figure out and kind of draw the line between, you know, what affects your writing or, you know, makes you feel, you don't want anyone else's opinion of your writing to make you feel any kind of way. And that's what I, I choose not to do. And so feedback is great, connection is great, but approval isn't. Is your writing published as well as recorded? So not published yet. That will be changed by the end of the year. I'm really excited. Like I, I talked about, I'm in the final stages of publishing um, an illustrated children's book. Uh, it's entitled Elderberry Wine. And it's a story that celebrates the beauty of our elders and all the knowledge, you know, wisdom, love, and life experiences they have to share. Um, I feel like in American culture, we're quick to discard and discount, the, you know, our elder generation. And getting older is something to be avoided instead of celebrated. So I feel in this children's book, it's, and it has a rhyming scheme. It's a rhyming book. It's kind of written in kind of spoken word kind of format, which I'm excited about. And so I will do an audio book as well along with it um, but I believe it's important to teach our children you know that our grandmothers grandfathers you know aunts uncles great-grandmothers are walking libraries and encyclopedias and they are our storytellers and story keepers and our cultural guides and I just really want to celebrate that with our children I just th I just think they don't understand that enough I don't think this culture celebrates our elders enough I agree who's doing the illustrations Oh, this wonderful illustrator, her name is Stephanie Heider. Oh my goodness, I'm like, I smile even just thinking about what she's done so far. I have, my, the main character is um, a young girl named Sora, um, which means sky in Japanese. And it's the grandmother. So the grandmother's telling, you know, reading her a story. And uh, she's talking about, you know, elderberry wine. And you know, what, who makes this elderberry wine? And um, she's saying, you know, it's elders, of course, you know, age with grace and strength. So like, she's telling her the story of what elderberry wine is. And it's this whole, it's meant to spark joy with connection and um, storytelling and such. And just Stephanie was able to capture just the beauty in this young girl, like just these, these rosy cheeks, this beautiful curly hair. I mean, you know, the cinnamon brown skin. I'm just, I'm just really excited. I can't wait until it comes out. How is it being published? I'm self-publishing, believe it or not. Good. So, yeah, so I decided, hey, I'm not going to wait around to, you know, for things to happen. I'm going to make things happen. I can't wait to read it. Thank you. Sounds like a good book to give as a gift. I've got a couple of kids in mind already. <laughs> yay, yay, yay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to make sure that we get it out before the holidays, especially before Kwanzaa. 
This is KCBP Community Radio, 95.5 FM, and streaming at kcbpradio.org. You're listening to today's guest, Angela Drew. What do you like to read or listen to? So I, um, I have an eclectic reading palette, and I am heavily influenced by music, um, kind of like from my poem earlier. Um, I, I love neo-soul, and I love hip-hop. I mean, that's just what I grew up on, and um, there's so many different kinds. And I remember um, when, um, I don't know if you've heard of Jill Scott, um, when her, her, her first album came out, where she was actually, you know, we were in, a, in an era of hip-hop, but she released an album that was spoken word to music, you know, and so I just fell in love. I fell in love with um, with her. Um, so I listened to a lot of hip hop. I listened to neo soul. Um, as far as reading, I I love. I just I love when I read stories or experiences where you know the words or the scenes kind of flow from the page in a way that makes you know the hair stand up on your arms. You know, like when you just have to stop and place the book on your chest and then sigh and smile. I mean, where it can be fiction, but it's written almost, you know, like poetry because it's so descriptive and so beautiful. Um, some of my favorite authors, like Ta-Nehisi Coates does that for, for me. Um, you know, his book, Between the World and Me, and then his newest book, The Water Dancer. His, just the way that he writes and his descriptions are just so, so beautiful. Um, and of course, I love the classics like Baldwin and Morrison. I, I love Bell Hooks, Audre Lorde. Intozaki Shange, um, Rest in Peace. Um, and Pearl Cleage is one of my favorite fiction writers. Uh, uh, her book, What Looks Like Crazy on an Ordinary Day, spoke to me because it was so relatable. It's like, I love when people write and their voice is, is just like someone's talking to you and just telling you a story. It's not, they're not trying to fancy it up or you know, make it you know, too much. It's like, it's just real and it's just authentic and it's their voice and I just, I love that. So, yeah. This is KCBP Wesley, 95.5 FM, and streaming at kcbpradio.org. You're listening to Arts of the San Joaquin Valley, with your host, Linda Scheller, and today's guest, Angela Drew. What advice would you give to someone who wants to express themselves? I would say just write. Um, Get it out. Get it out. Get it on paper. Um, and be yourself, you know, it's like, I think the important thing is to use and use your authentic voice, uh, be your authentic self. Um, I don't try to speak or, or act or express yourself like anyone else. I think our, our own unique voices have power. And I always say that there's only one you and that is your superpower. I, I feel like, you know, just get it out in the way that you express it and that way that you feel it because that in itself, I mean, a life lived to me is poetry. So just get it out. What were the contributions of you and your family to the June Black Lives Matter March and rally in Modesto? So for that rally, I was more so in a support role um, for my daughter and uh, my children and Danielle and Miles uh, who were participating. Danielle was one of the primary organizers of the, uh, it was a Juneteenth rally in March. Um, her and a group of young people who called themselves 209 leaders and they just stepped out. And I mean, I think that our youth, they have a passion and a fire and they have said enough is enough. And I, I, I was just so proud and so um, inspired that, you know, that this generation went from, you know, protesting via social media and making a hashtag to actually getting out there 
and making a difference. And so we were just there, me and my husband, we were there, you know, we got, we, um, except got donated items were there carting stuff to the rally in march just being there helping them set up all that stuff but we actually let them lead and i'm really proud of what they accomplished well that is great now did you or your son read a poem there we both did actually uh so yeah he read a poem uh called dear little black boy and then i read a poem that's why i actually read the poem that I performed at the NAACP Black Graduation Cere Graduate Ceremony was BWE, The Black Woman Experience. Could either you or he please read or speak uh, one of those poems now? Uh, sure, I can do the, my BWE poem, The Black Woman Experience. Oh, I'd love that. Okay, great. Sometimes I feel like a bona fide chameleon flexing and flowing and morphing and changing into the depiction of me that makes you comfortable. I show up like camouflage, beige and brown and green and gray. Any other subdued shade but black, for my blackness is your threat. They say telling us, girl, don't be too aggressive or assertive, too loud or too proud. Keep that neck and head off swivel, no side eye allowed. Don't be too feisty, too spicy, too forward, too bold. Don't defend, just concede. Black girl, do as you're told. Don't rock the boat sideways, maintain status quo. Do your job and for others, but keep that deep on the low. Braids on you, yeah, that's ghetto, but on others, exotic. Better wig it or weave it. Don't you throw it or lock it. You should smile more, no, really. Watch your words, check your tone. Keep that code switch on lock when you answer the phone. Don't be too strong or too loose, emasculating Jezebel. Soften up a little bit, sis. They don't know you mean well. Girl, you damned if you do, and damned if you don't. Judge when you will and question when you won't. Disrespected and neglected, and this much is true. Black girl, when you go missing, no one's checking for you. Microaggressions on a daily. Girl, you're strong. Suck it up. That black skin's pretty thick, right? Shouldn't bother you much. Yeah, it shouldn't bother me, right? It shouldn't bother me, right? <laughs> Quite frankly, being a black woman in America is exhausting. And I'm not angry, shit, I'm tired. Tired of being reduced to a monolithic caricature of everything that I am and everything that my ancestors have survived. I am tired of being told that my history began with slavery when I know that I am the descendant of queens and kings. I am tired of explaining to our daughters, my daughter, why she gets dress coded for the same length of shorts that Becky wears because they try to police and control our bodies because they can't control themselves. And I am tired 
of being told that black women do not get along when we were, we are the movers of the movement. And when we come together in sisterhood, magical moments happen. And I am tired of worrying and wondering when my son and my husband leave our home for the day, what harshness and hatefulness they will encounter in words and in action from people who do not recognize their humanity, but instead fear their very existence. So I say a daily prayer, speaking words to cover them in love and protection to ensure that they make it home safely to me at the end of the day and I am exhausted from being expected to carry the world on my back like a mule carrying cargo. For yes, I am strong, but I too have weak moments. I feel, I love, I worry, I hope, look at me, see me, acknowledge me. I have breakdowns and I have breakthroughs, but I refuse to be broken. I will no longer fold myself into four right angles, tucking my layers and complexities inside of your neat little boxes, for I am round and robust with curves in all the right places, and I will rise like the sun like the phoenix from ashes, rubbing gold dust from my eyelids, rubbing shea butter on my skin to soothe the burns I have acquired on my journey through the fire and say yes to black girl magic and say yes to sister girl shine for now is our time no longer defined by your simplistic definition of our immaculate design, black women you our hashtag everything. I love you. I love me. I love us. And I trust that you will love you harshly, fiercely, and with reckless abandon. And our love collectively will change the trajectory of a thousand tomorrows. We matter, y'all. Always have, always will. Thank you. Oh, that gave me chills and it brought tears to my eyes. That's so brilliant, Angela. Thank you so much. That is just fabulous. Thank you. I hope that is widely heard. Oh, so powerful. Do you, do you see differences? Does it seem like there's more opportunity for your daughter and girls younger than her? to be themselves and feel strong and proud of who they are? Um, I think that in some, in many ways, because we are celebrating it and, and we're so vocal about it now, it's giving them the space to be fearless. And I'm really proud of that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, th- these, these girls, these girls, they, they get it. I mean, I, I think as we, when we were coming up, it was like, you know, you had to, you had to taper your tongue. Mm. You know what I mean? You had to, you know, you, you, you could speak up, but there was an appropriate place and time to do so. You know, they're not confined by those boundaries. And I love them for that. You know what I mean? And I, I think it's because we have instilled in them and even, even with my son, you know, it's like, 
We are teaching them that they have value. Don't let ever let anyone diminish your value. And I, we've told them since they were little, little, it's not, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. You know what I mean? So um, it's really about, yeah, I, I believe that this, this generation is just, just more fearless and I love them for it. And I'm, 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 I'm excited for what the future will bring. Me too. Have you also seen a change in the number, the ages, and the diversity of the protesters, activists, and allies for this, in the struggle for justice during this past year? Um, I have seen a change. I, I, I feel like, you know what, really, to, tell the, to be totally transparent, it's almost like a changing of the guard. Hmm. Um, it's like, you know, the, the, the youth, the age has been different and it's, it's been, I think we've always had allies, but I think the pandemic just gave us a chance to be still. I mean, we don't have, we didn't have a lot of distraction to keep us asleep. And so in in seeing that glaring in people's faces, I think people felt compelled to act. And so in that way, um, in that way, the pandemic has had a positive um, impact only in that sense that, you know, it's given people a break from the distractions to see what's going on and it's compelled them to act. So yes, I do believe that I have seen a change in the act, the change in the, definitely the age of the activists. Um, Diversity, yes, because I'm seeing people of all walks of nature. And we're talking about, it, it was funny when they were showing protests from all around the world. When we talk about diversity, that's real diversity. When you saw protests in, in not just in this country, but in, you know, in how many other countries? I think, I think they said at least, you know, 14. Um, so yes, I, I believe people are tired. You know what I mean? It's enough. It's enough to keep seeing it and seeing it. And I'm glad that we're not numb. We're now to the point that we're, we're compelled to act. So yes, I do believe there's been a more diverse difference in age, different population, different types of people, people from all walks of life, because people that care about the human experience. What should we do then to keep the momentum going and get even more people involved in the struggle for equity, respect, and justice? You know, in my humble opinion, we need to encourage civic engagement and responsibility at, you know, the student level. So, you know, as children are going through, you know, elementary school, high school, I don't, you know, while they, you know, they take civics and government as a classroom, I think we need to be encouraging community involvement, um, civic engagement, you know, compelling people to get involved in changing the systems and the structures that are, you know, uh, perpetuating racism and oppression. So we really, yeah, it, I think that for for years we've kind of benefited um, off of what our you know predecessors did. You know their activism, their their they were in the streets marching, fighting for our rights, and we benefited from that. I think we have to teach our children that we it's our responsibility for taking up place on this planet that we need to act and make sure that we're paying it forward. I think that's how we're going to keep the momentum going. It's our, it's our responsibility to make sure that our children understand that they have an obligation, you know, for breathing here, for being here, um, to be able to, you know, to, to pay it forward and to change, change the systems, not just, I mean, protesting is great, bringing awareness to it, because protests bring awareness, right? Mm -hmm. Protests, you know, you're in everybody's faces saying, this is what's going on, we're asleep no more. But now we've got to act, we've, act, we've actually got to change the systems from within. 
And I think that is, that's the next step. Absolutely. Can you think of any ways that our larger community can be more proactive and um, work together? Um, I don't, you know, I don't really know if there's like one, one specific way. I think we just do need to get out of our silos and I think we really need to collaborate more. You know what I mean? I don't know what that looks like or, um, but I think it starts with us, you know, preparing our youth. I think, and I'm going to keep saying that. I think it really starts with us making sure that, you know, we're instilling the responsibility and, 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 and children don't do, children aren't going to do what you say. They're going to do what you do. Right. <laughs> so uh, we have to be examples of what that looks like. So, yeah. Two of the organizations I'm involved with, they're both um, arts organizations, nonprofits, and both of them are almost exclusively older, all white people. Mm. And boy, they've suddenly woken up to the fact that that's just not right. Mm -hmm. And they need to open up and they need to reach out and they need to actively um, court involvement of all people not just this one little segment so i'm really glad that that it's it's finally becoming apparent that we can't we can't just stay in our corners and no. be with people who look and act just like us you know yeah look at what it's come to Absolutely. so we have to push outside of our comfort zones and so yeah yeah interacting with people of different cultures um, different walks of life is sometimes uncomfortable, but we grow. We grow mm -hmm. from that and we learn from that. You Absolutely. Know what I mean? yeah. And that's the beautiful thing. I mean, we learn so much. We, come, we become better people because, <laughs> because of what we've learned. And, and um, I mean, as a teacher, I loved having classes of all different nationalities and different languages and different customs and how we learned from each other was one of the most beautiful things mm -hmm. but are you currently active in any local organizations angela so i am i cur i'm currently the uh, a secretary on the for the board of the ubsuc which is the united black student unions of california um, they are a 46 year old organization kind of dedicated to the leadership and development of african-american high school students um, over the la I've been with the uh, organization as the secretary over the last two and a half years. Um, and we've introduced and exposed our students to the richness and power of the HBCU experience, um, which is um, historically black colleges and universities, which is my son is attending um, Morehouse this year um, from what he was exposed to um, from this organization, which is great. Um, we've, um, we have basically the board consists of an adult board and a youth board that mirrors the adult board uh, and then we you know we, we focus on cultural awareness college preparedness career awareness development of cooperative efforts among schools and communities and our our, our real mission is to perpetuate opportunities for self-school and community improvement and um and we train our our youth board and encourage leadership and so i mean it's really it's it's enriching i mean it's fulfilling and i really I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of this organization and what what they do for youth um in the community are there meetings held at the high schools or how does it work okay so basically um 
so we have we actually have a board meeting every two weeks we meet um and so we was it's always been by conference call every two weeks and then um, now it's by zoom call of course um but what we do is we, we put on every year we have what we call a round table which is you know the bsus um, and bsu advisors from all of the student schools in the whole central valley and when we say central valley that's from as far north as stockton as far south as bakersfield um and then um so we, we put on a, a, a yearly roundtable to talk about how to, you know, strengthen the BSUs in the community on campus, on the different campuses across the high schools. And then to, to teach our, the BSU officers, you know, what their office, what their office represents. So like, you know, teach the president how to be a president, how to run a BSU meeting. Um, we teach them about activism, community involvement. Um, and so we do all that we, at a roundtable. And then we have a yearly conference um, where we have workshops and speakers, we have, you know, um, people come and talk about different careers, we have folks come and talk about um, uh, what we, uh, we have uh, Jacques and Jacques uh, Wilson from Advocates for Justice come and talk about know your rights, you know, how, you know, what to do if you're pulled over by the police. Um, and so uh, just a lot of different things um, for education and awareness, cultural awareness for our students. And that's once a year. Normally that's in person and we go to different colleges that, which gives the students a chance to visit different college campuses. Last year we were at um, Fresno State. Uh, we've had it um, at, um, uh, we were scheduled to have it at Stanislaw, CSU Stanislaw this year, but of course the pandemic happened. So it's gonna be a virtual conference this year. Um, they've been um, at Santa Clara University one year. So it goes to different colleges to give them that college experience and visit. Um, and then in the spring, we have a state convention. Um, and that normally is, it rotates between a place in Northern California, Southern California, or Central California, depending on the year. And um, where the actual students go and stay overnight, you know, for three, three days and they have a whole convention, they have workshops and such. So, um, and that happens every, every year. That is great. This is KCBP Community Radio with your host, Linda Scheller and today's guest, Angela Drew. Who are your own role models? So, um, I would have to say my role models are I, are not folks that are removed from my life. They're, they're really my family members, folks that I see every day um, that are faced with life's challenges and kind of get up and still choose, you know, and are guided by their moral compass. Uh, one of my, one of my role models is my husband, is my husband. And I like to say that because uh, he, he has built his own business from scratch and I've seen him um, go out into this world and been told no and been denied um, many things because of, you know, the color of his skin and and for just, you know, being a black man and migrating in America. And he has persevered and he's he's done it in a way that he has built this business and he has been an entrepreneur for over eight years. And I just admire his strength and his tenacity and just the way that he handles himself. And he, he, he doesn't take no for an answer. He's not going to allow the world to tell him no. And he gets up and fights every day. Um, to be seen and to be heard and to um, to progress. So he's one of my role. He's one of my role models. And then I have a lot of strong women in my family that I've just seen done so much with so little, um, overcome a lot of obstacles. Um, you know, they've been silenced by society. You know, been pigeonholed by society, um, but still get up and persevere um, for their families and for their futures. And um, yeah, I just really 
I, they are my role models, you know, a family of women, my aunt, my aunt Cheryl, my, my aunt Betty. Um, and I just, I'm just, yeah, I, I'm really in awe of those folks in my life that, yeah, that just show strength and choose, you know, are guided by their moral compass, even when society tries to, you know, make them choose otherwise. They, they, they still err on the side of righteousness. What are your hopes, dreams, and goals for the future? So my immediate goals are to publish and distribute my children's book, um, again, just in time for Kwanzaa. Um, and then next year, I'd like to publish my novel, um, Fingerprints on My Shadow. Those are my two immediate goals. And I, I would like to say that my hope and dream is really to make a life with my writing, um, for writing to be my primary career. I, I know I've been told, you know, many times that, you know, writing is frivolous. You know, I've been told, you know, you, know, you, you, know, you, you write well but you know, keep it as a hobby. It's a hobby, it's not gonna make you any money, you know? And so I, I choose not to believe that, you know, people think that they're being practical by, you know, trying to kill your dreams and I'm not going to allow it. So um, I plan or my hope and dream is to really make a living, not make a living, but make a life uh, with my writing. And I know that um, when you make a life doing what you love, then it never, it will never feel like work. Well, I wish you all the best. Um, you have such a powerful and beautiful way with words. I have every confidence that you are going to succeed beautifully. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Is there anything you'd like to add, Angela? Um, no. Well, um, I guess I would just like to say that, I mean, I appreciate you know, being welcomed here to share my writing, to share my words, to share my voice. Um, having a platform to share your art is always um, a welcome thing. And I do appreciate it. I don't take it for granted. Um, I just, you know, I just do feel like that we are all writers and we're all storytellers in our own right. And we, we have to remember that that's the way we share our history. Uh, we have to tell our children our stories. Um, I mean, I, I was even thinking about that today. It's like, I, I, I need to tell my children about, you know, just things that happened in their history about family things that I, that I take for granted, but that sh will just give them perspective and see how, you know, the breadth and width of their lives and the lives of their, you know, their grandmother or their, you know, their great grandmother to see, you know, how big our lives are, you know, and I think it's important that we do that um, as parents, as sisters, as friends we should really be sharing our stories and sharing our experiences with each other. It brings us closer, it connects us, and it informs um, each other and our family members of the richness of our lives. That is so true. Our guest has been Angela Drew. Thank you so much, Angela. This has been a wonderful conversation, and I just love your spoken word poetry. Thank you so much for sharing it with us today. Thank you for having me, Linda. I appreciate it. The Arts of the San Joaquin Valley has been produced and hosted by Linda Scheller and Sandy Graham and features music by Kilobot, Waves of Wonder from the album Jazzy Lazy. You can learn more about their music at www.kilobot.de. That's K-I-E-L-O-B-O-T dot D-E. If you would like us to feature your art-related event, or if you would like to be featured on our show, 
Contact us at arts at kcbpradio.org. Stay tuned for more great community radio brought to you by local volunteers, the Modesto Peace Life Center, and listeners like you. Please visit kcbpradio.org to show your support and to learn more about your community radio station. Catch you next time on the Arts of the San Joaquin Valley.